Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast to help you scale your Shopify store into a money-making machine. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interviewing the experts to help you thrive and build a business that makes you money. For exclusive offers, bonus content, and weekly episode reminders, join our mailing list at winningwithshopify.com. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For all our new listeners today, welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. My name's Nick, and I want to say a warm welcome from me and the team, and thanks for tuning in. If you like today's episode, leave us a little review, give us a like on whatever platform you're listening to us on, and make sure whatever platform you're on, you hit that subscribe button. If you can't see a subscribe button, change platforms. We're on Amazon, we're on Apple iTunes, Spotify, and a whole range of other places. And if you're tuning in not for the first time, you've been listening for quite a while, welcome back. Absolute pleasure to have you all with us. So thanks for joining us again guys. I see you all in our analytics reports and all the stats. So it's yeah, good to have you all connected. It's nearly the end of August now. So we are bringing things to a close in terms of August itself, and then getting ready for quite a, a quite an exciting set of episodes coming up in September. As always, I can't say too much because we seem to confirm things quite late at the moment, which is, yeah, nobody's fault. It's just holiday season. So trying to get emails back and forth is always a bit of a challenge. But today we're going to be finishing off August series, which is not a series. It's four different episodes, all on different topics from different people talking about different walks of life. We've had some really interesting feedback from you guys as well. Some saying we prefer a series, but mostly saying it's been good actually having a different topic every week and talking about different things rather than hearing the sort of similar things from different people. So yeah, if you want to leave us a message or or get in touch at all, winningwithshopify.com is the place to go. Fill out any form on there and it comes through to my team. We'll pick it up and uh, we try to reply to every single message we get. If we haven't replied to you, send it again and say, Oi Nick, you haven't replied and I'll make sure I come back to you personally. But that's enough from me. We're going to dive into today's episode. And as you've probably seen from the title, we're talking about a cookie-less world and zero-party data, which all sounds very bizarre for anyone who's worked in e-com for a while and we're tracking. I've got a very special guest. His name's Tom, and he's the co-founder and CEO from a company called Jebit. So without further ado, Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. Well, it's great to have you with us. As we do with all of our guests, give us a quick overview, a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Jebit. Sure. Jebit is a company I started 10 years ago when I was in college in Boston. Uh, and we help brands build quizzes that increase conversions and capture zero-party data. So yeah, thought I was going to go be a doctor and ended up starting this company in college instead and dropping out of school. And it's been a, a crazy ride over the last 10 years. Excellent. Excellent. And I've quite a few family that are in the uh, medical profession. Some of them are doctors. So it's, yeah, you might have dodged a bullet there to use an awful pun. But yeah, it's great to have you with us. I mean, there's a few questions I'm going to kickstart with. A bit of a 101, I think, would be a good place to uh, to begin. I imagine a lot of people are tuning in thinking like, okay, I love the show, but what on earth are we talking about? So first question, what on earth is a cookie? And I'm not talking about the one that comes out of the oven. Yeah, well, I'm sure everyone is familiar with landing on a website and having the little pop-up box that has become more prevalent in recent years of, will you accept all cookies? And a cookie is basically just the word for the technical process that happens in the back end of tracking a user. So based on whatever web browser they're in, being able to track pretty much everywhere they go, everything they click on, um, and aggregate a bunch of data on who that user is and what they're engaging with on the internet. 
Nice, nice. And obviously without them, we couldn't do half the tracking we do. And some people say they don't want to be tracked on the internet, but quite frankly, it's, it's important. You know, if you are tracked and most people are tracked anonymously, might I add, but if you are tracked, we can look at the data, we can make improvements and make the web a better place for everybody. So obviously really, really important. So obviously the cookies there, it generates data and it, it, it does a whole load more. Um, there's a lot more we can do with them after the data itself has been generated. So what, what do we mean when, or do you guys mean when you talk about zero party data? What on earth is that? Yeah, so zero-party data means data a customer willingly gives you with consent. It's normally data about their interests, their preferences, their motivations, things like that. It's normally data beyond just like their age, their gender, their transaction history with you, that type of data. And I think it's important when we're talking about zero-party data to just understand, because zero-party data is a brand new term. So for people that haven't heard of it, it's a new term that Forrester coined about two or three years ago. And the types of data people are familiar with are first, second, and third party. And to do like, you know, 30 seconds on that, first party is the data a brand gets directly from their customer. So if a customer is clicking on your website, if they're buying products from you, all that behavioral data, all that transaction data, that's first party. Second party is when two different companies come together and share data. So if a company makes an agreement and they share data with another company, the the new data you're getting from the other party is second party from your perspective if you're the brand that's making that partnership. And then third party data is really how a lot of the advertising on the internet has been powered over the last couple of decades. And third party data is basically just data that is all pooled together. And there's a whole bunch of third party data brokers that sell it to each other and pool it together. And you basically have no idea where data came from if it's third party data. So there's a lot of issues with the accuracy of third-party data, as well as just privacy to consumers, which is why there's now so many laws coming out in countries all around the world, you know, Europe being the, the first to really pioneer this with GDPR, that's basically saying, hey, as we move forward, we need to stop doing this third-party data stuff, and we need to put the consumer first, and we need to focus on first and zero-party data, where we're getting that data directly from the consumer, and we ask for their permission and their consent to use the data. Wow. I mean, you said 30 seconds. It was pretty much to the to the mark of 30 seconds. And what an, I mean, it's such, such a simple way of putting it. I've never heard anyone put it quite as simply as that, because as soon as you talk about first, second or third party, it's like, oh, and by the way, and this and this and this. So no, I think you did an excellent job of, of explaining that. And obviously, zero party, they're, they're handing data over. They're almost filling out like a questionnaire for you, aren't they? Absolutely. So if we focus on first and zero party data, which, you know, in my mind, we, we position Jebit as a zero-party data platform. Zero-party data is really just a type of first-party data. So when I talked about like the behavioral and the transaction data, tracking what people click on on your website and what they buy from you, that's first-party data, but that's all inferred, right? So I have to look at what you've done, and then I have to make assumptions or inferences about you. You know, let's just say as an example, you know, Nick, I see you go click on a website, and it's a it's a website for golf clubs and you click all around and then you check out and you buy one. I don't actually know why you bought it. Like, was it for you? Was it a present for me? Was it, you know, something different? You know, what, like what yep. was your intention behind it? And what's your relationship with golf? Do you golf all the time? Do you just golf for fun? Who do you golf with? And so the zero party data is when we stop and we actually have a conversation with you and we actually ask you, 
Why are you buying this? Who's it for? What's your interest level in golf? What are your goals with golf? That's all the zero party data. And so the difference is that is explicitly given and I can know exactly what I want to know because I asked you the question. I think, again, really good example of that, as you just given with the golf clubs. I guess another thing as well that as someone who works in marketing and, and does a lot of PPC and SEO, we so often are delivering results where, you know, every single month it goes up or down. It rarely stays flat. It goes up or down. And of course, the client quite rightly says, why has that happened? And a lot of the time we're saying, well, you know, every country's battling inflation right now. So people got less money to spend. Therefore, it's gone down or it might have gone up. And we've said, well, you know, it's a summer product and the sun's been out. So it's gone up. But as you say, it's first party data. We are very much guessing. You know, we're trying to read between the lines and say, well, what were some of the big things going on that would have influenced so many people to increase or decrease their basket values? Whereas as as you said, actually asking them some questions, they will tell you, I bought this product because I normally buy more expensive products, but there's been a, you know, a, there's been a slight crisis in terms of finances in in the world right now. So actually, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, spend a little bit less and come to you instead, which is really interesting learnings going, OK, we've just attracted a slightly more premium customer who's trying to save a little bit of money. And that, that should change the way we're doing stuff, which is so much better than we could ever guess, um, which I think is really important. What's interesting about that, something we talk about with our customers a lot is there's this inverse relationship between scale of data and the value or accuracy of the data. And so what I mean by that is it's easier to get first party data at scale because you can just track everything people click on and you can just track what they've bought. And you know once you tag your site to be able to do that, all the data just flows in and you don't have to lift a finger and you get it on every site visitor. But the challenge, like we were just talking about, is it's not always accurate because you often make wrong assumptions or inferences about person versus the zero party data is the most accurate data you could get. The people literally told you the answers when you asked them the question, but it's the hardest to get at scale because consumers are really busy and we're all just browsing the web and engaging with awesome content all the time. And so getting a consumer to slow down and take a minute or two out of their day and actually have a conversation with you that's the hard part. And that's what we're trying to help brands tackle so they can get this most accurate, most valuable form of data at a higher scale. Absolutely. And I mean, that brings me on to a question, which I'll ask it in two different ways and you can choose which route to go down. The first way is going to be, so what do you guys do? The second way is what can customers do, you know, to actually kind of link this stuff up? Because you guys have quite an interesting solution. And as I said, before we hit record, it links into quite a lot of the stuff we talk about quite regularly here, which I'll sort of fill in afterwards. But yeah, what do you guys do or what should people be doing to find out that information then? Like what's a good mechanism? to actually gain that info. Yeah, so we, we talk about this with Shopify brands all the time. When most people hear zero-party data, they think, oh, yes, I want that. That makes sense. I, wa- I want to know all about my customers' interests, preferences. I want to get to know them better. And then where they normally leap to nine out of 10 times is, okay, so I need to make more forms or put more surveys out there to learn from my customers. And mm-hmm. there's obviously tons of awesome platforms out there to do that, you know, Typeform, SurveyMonkey, tons of other ones. But the challenge with forms and surveys is that people don't actually want to do them. Like you don't wake up in the morning as a consumer, no matter how passionate you are about a brand and think, you know, let me go fill out more forms or do more surveys, which is why we often have to incentivize people and give them gift cards or sweepstakes to get them to do a form or a survey. And then that introduces all of its own challenges of when you provide monetary incentives, not everyone's honest with their answers. I'm sure we are all guilty of just clicking AAAAA through a survey and answering every question (laughs) just to get the Starbucks gift card. And so exactly get the rewards. (laughs) Exactly. And so what we have really tried to pioneer at Jebit 
is how do you create an experience that a consumer will want to do for genuine reasons that they'll enjoy doing, where they'll provide real accurate answers that helps you get the zero party data. And there's a lot of different experiences you can build in Jebit, but the most popular thing you can build in our platform is a quiz. And it's often some type of product match quiz. So if we stick with that golf club example, you know, you might build a quiz for your website that says, welcome to our site, answer five questions, and we'll recommend the right golf club for you. Mm -hmm. And when a consumer lands on your site and they see that, it doesn't trigger to them, oh, this is a forum or a survey where nine out of 10 people exit out. It actually triggers, oh, this brand knows I'm busy and they want to help me. They want to save me time. They want to give me a recommendation. This is awesome. And so we see 90% completion rates on these quizzes and, and the consumer will go through, they'll answer the questions because they're only doing it to get the recommendation. They're going to answer in an honest, accurate way because they want the right recommendation for them. And it's something where are we've proven this time and time again, the quiz actually increases conversions in the moment, but you're also able to capture this valuable data, ask for an email address or a phone number at the end and build your database. And so it really creates this win-win of more sales and higher conversions, like when you actually launch it, but all this data that you can use for future marketing and, you know, help increase the lifetime value of all your customers. Wow. So it can actually ju jump in and help them with the decision-making process, almost a sort of, almost like a helpful assistant kind of saying, what are you looking for right now? Like, you know, what's your favorite color? What uh, flavor are you looking for? And I can pull those flavors up for you, for example. Yep. And then at the end, you can say, here's the right golf club for you. Or you could say, here's the whole right set of golf clubs for you. Here's the right driver, the right irons, the right putter, the right apparel you should buy. Like you have tons of customization and how you set it up. But yeah, that's the whole point. Like let's, let's provide that better shopping experience. Our customers normally see anywhere from a 20 to 50% lift in both the conversion rate, like the percent of people that check out as well as the average order value. Cause when you start making multiple recommendations, people just buy more. I think we all know this if you walk into a store in person, if I walk into a golf outlet and there's someone waiting there for me, they're going to ask me questions. They're going to recommend stuff for me. They're going to try to upsell me on other products they think I could use based on what they just learned about me. And so that's where the quiz becomes really powerful. And many of our brands launch it to start just for that, just for I want to increase my conversions. And then they really start to have the aha moment over time of, but I also just captured all the zero party data and I can now use that for future emails, for, for better targeting of Facebook ads, different things like that to make my, my marketing even more powerful over time. And I mean, it's, it's, it sounds absolutely amazing. And it's, it's certainly something I think brings, um, like if anybody listened to last week's episode, we're talking about augmented reality. It's amazing. This is another product that just enhances that shopping experience. I, I was talking to somebody recently about buying a new sofa and they said, oh, where did you get yours from? What website was it? And I sort of said, well, it wasn't a website. I went into a shop. Yep. And he sort of said, but you work in online marketing. Like, why are you doing that? And I, my point to him was, well, the sofa costs the same, whether I buy it in a, in a store, you know, a shop, or, or I buy it on the internet. But if I go to a shop, someone's going to help me buy the right sofa. I can probably customize it a bit more. I can ask questions. I can walk around. And actually, when I went on their website, you can't customize them. You can just order the set ones from their site and they all cost the same. It's like I'm paying the same. I'm getting a much better experience. And actually, some items, I mean, beds and sofas and things, it's actually quite fun going out shopping, you know, and looking at them all and testing them out and jumping on them. So I think bringing more of that experience to the digital to say, you know, and I guess your tool learns over time, doesn't it? So it learns that if I recommend this golf club, more people are going to go for that. And actually, if I word it like this, they'll buy the whole set as opposed to if I just say, here's the set when they only asked for a single one. 100%. Yep. 
Uh, let's let's talk post purchase as well for a second because that that's a really interesting bit. And the, the thing I mentioned earlier, uh, or referenced earlier, but I'll mention now is that we talk so much about how much you need to talk to your customers about finding out what they want, what they don't want, how they want to shop, what led them to a buying decision, that sort of thing, and. The more traditional methods are things like, for example, sending them an email or picking up the phone. Or um, I've even shared stories of where we had guests on the show in the past who have said that they've actually gone out with the order itself to a specific customer, and at the front door said, "Look, I'm you know I'm not just the delivery guy. I own the business. I'm the founder. Can I ask you some questions? And I hope to install this product for free for you as well. And actually ask questions and find out what's going on." Post-purchase, though, you guys, you get to the end of the purchase and you guys can pop up a survey that says, could we ask you, and you mentioned earlier about Starbucks voucher, you know, there might be a, it doesn't have to be, but there might be some sort of thing at the end to say, you know, we'll, we'll give you a 10% discount or a 10% voucher off your next order or an Amazon voucher or something if you do this. But your software, I'm assuming then you can build some questions and actually start to, as you said, right at the start, aggregate that data and, and actually use that for reporting and use that for learnings. Yeah. So, I mean, most of the questions that are getting answered are actually happening pre-purchase right? Because I land on the website, I do the quiz, I answer the questions, and then I get matched to the product. Then I check out and buy. But then to what you're talking about, post virtual. So let's say, let's say I finish that golf club quiz and we say, great, we have the right recommendations for you. But before we show you the recommendation, put in your email address here. And so someone puts in their email, then we give them the recommendation, then they go check out and buy. There's a whole host of things that our clients do. You know, first and foremost, they'll normally drop you into some type of onboarding email flow. And that onboarding email flow is going to be personalized based on what we just learned about you in the quiz. So if I stick with the same example we're using, you know, let's say one segment of people says, I golf five times a week. I'm a member of a country club and my goal is to win the club championship this year versus, you know, another person that takes the quiz says, I golf five times a year and I just do it with my friends and charity tournaments for fun. And I don't care. I'm not, Yeah, yeah. you know, they're going to get a totally different set of onboarding emails. And within those onboarding emails, many of our customers will drop another quiz in there to get even more information about you, right? We learned five things about you in that first quiz. Let's learn five more the second time you engage with us. And so that first and foremost is like the lowest hanging fruit people do is, is segmented onboarding flows based on what we learn about in the quiz. But then over time, they do a lot of other things. They start taking this data they've learned about people and they use it to personalize ads. So a lot of our clients are advertising on you know Facebook or Snapchat or TikTok or Pinterest or you know Twitter, these different platforms. And so you can actually use this zero party data. You can bring it to those platforms and you can say, Based on these emails I have and these zero-party data points I know about them, I want to set up retargeted campaigns to reach them, or I want to create lookalike audiences of people that look like them. And so these start to become a lot of the really valuable things you can do with zero-party data after that initial purchase. Nice, nice. And I think it's just so powerful, isn't it? Actually getting that customer data to then to then work out actually who your customer is, which might then lead you, obviously all the kind of SEO and trading and internal political reasons aside, it might actually change the way you structure your site. And you might say, actually, you know, we're now going to have, for example, across the top of sites as an SEO exercise, we often have kind of what we call shop buys. So you might have like a shop by color, shop by size, shop by type, shop by price, etc. Et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got categories and you can kind of work your way down the category. A bit like we were talking earlier about, you know, your tools and suggesting products. You go, actually, I definitely want a red one. 
So you choose red and then you land on the red category of all our red products. Mm -hmm. And then you say, okay, I only want to buy a certain price. But again, knowing what to put in those drop downs then means that using the golf site, you know, sticking sticking with the golf analogy. But yeah, using the golf site, you could have a drop down saying, you know, purchase or shop by ability or shop by frequency of play. There's obviously a better word that somebody is more into branding and marketing can come up with than that. But again, having that as a drop down, then the difference between me going on where I play very, very rarely compared to, you know, my cousin who plays almost every single day the difference between us means i'm looking at a range of things that are quite cost effective they're going to last over time they come in a nice padded box so they're not going to you know rust or anything else like that whereas he's going to be looking at the professional range and going actually i'll spend you know 20 or 30 times what what i would 100 percent. and i love i love what you said earlier about like why you went into the sofa store. And I, I love the example you shared too of the founder who goes and delivers the product themselves so that they can have that face-to-face combo because what a lot mm. of our customers tell us is, oh, the Jebit platform basically just helped me digitize the conversation I wish I could go have in person with every one of my customers. And a, a thing we'll often ask them when they're getting started with Jebit is, if you could sit down and have a cup of coffee with every single one of the people that comes to your website, what would the questions be you'd ask them? And what would you want to learn about them to help better recommend your brand to them and your products to them? And it's just like a really helpful framework to actually put yourself in that shoes and think about, I'm sitting down for coffee or, or they're walking into my physical store or whatever it might be, because that kind of forms the exact questions you'd want to ask or, or drop downs you'd want to replace like you're talking about. And you basically build the structure of your quiz that way. Nice, nice. And I, I, mean, I take it take it that your tool is completely customizable as in you can ask one set of questions. And if you find that actually everybody answers question three, but questions one and two, they just put kind of almost anything in. You can go, well, let's move question three to number one. Or I guess a better example is testing question number one to get them engaged in the first place and asking something that's better than just why did you shop today and they fill out a box but actually saying you know how excited are you for your product to arrive and actually playing more on the emotive side of things which you know my experience in marketing is always the best way to go but I assume you can customize stuff and and then you learn over time like this works this doesn't yeah so I'm glad you asked about that and I I didn't really directly answer your question earlier of what is Jebit (laughs) we're a no code platform so as a marketer you don't need any coding experience. You don't need any even design experience. You can log into our platform and you can build your quiz. People do this all the time. They'll build, they'll sign up for a free account on Jebit and they'll build a quiz within 45 minutes and it'll be ready to go live on their website. And there's a lot of different things you can customize. So the first thing people really want to be able to customize is the look and feel. Our goal is that we want this quiz to look like you had your engineering team build it from scratch or you paid a really expensive agency to build it for you from scratch, but you're actually just using our kind of drag and drop experience builder on the back end. And if you've ever used like a Canva or a Photoshop or any type of creative platform, think of that in your head, but it's a platform, you know, specifically designed to build these quizzes and other types of interactive experiences. So first and foremost, there's the creative, right? If this is going to go right on your homepage, it needs to look custom and premium and it needs to look on brand for you. The second part is yes, you can also customize kind of everything on the back end you were asking about. So how many questions do I want it to be? I don't know. Maybe I should A-B test it. Maybe I should have a three question version of the quiz and a five question and a seven question. And maybe I want to A-B test what question comes first. And I want to A-B test the order of the questions. And you can set up all those tests and then you can see the analytics in real time. And our platform will help you optimize it. And you'll realize, oh, 
the five question quiz actually is the best maximizer of both completion rate and purchases afterwards. And, you know, oh, it turns out this is the better question to ask first than that question because, you know, 95% of people answered this question when we put it first, but only 87% when we put that question first. And all these little things you can optimize. And so for our customers, like first and foremost, our advice is just build the quiz you think is going to be best, build it quickly, get it live on your site because every day you let go without having the quiz on your site, you're missing out on revenue. But once you and have, just start learning, basically, start learning. Like, yeah, get, yeah, it, but, get it out there. Yeah, but once you have the quiz live, many of our customers will spend three, six months, you know, optimizing it and tef- testing different versions of it until they really get to the version that they know is, is you know, optimized. And, I mean, you know this because you do PPC and, you know, SEM ads and things like that. It's a constant process of, of optimizing and getting better. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, wh- one of the best things we find as well is things like A-B testing. And it annoyingly, clients often ask, like, why are we testing that versus the current one that we know is working? And it's often with tests, it's always based on a hypothesis. So you either look at the data and go, I wonder if that figure would go up if we started doing it more like this. Or for example, like, you know, go back to that example I gave of like, if question three is the one that you get the most information from, you might find putting it as question one, you now actually get less people engaging that actually, even if it's a very short, easy, simple question, a better lead-in question gets them talking. So I think, as you say, like we do it a lot in PPC where we say to clients, like, look, the campaign's never going to be perfect unless we turn it on. So sometimes you're like, we don't have all the best images and the best headlines and the landing page isn't perfect. Let's just turn it on on a small budget and see what it does. And sometimes we're yeah. quite amazed going, it's not quite profitable, but it's doing something. And that's quite interesting. And we're actually improving, like, for example, the targeting of the campaign to then find that when we do improve the ad copy and we improve the landing page, everything starts to stick together. And it sounds like it's exactly the same with this sort of quiz of going, you know, you can learn quickly without having to sit down for coffee, which questions people engage with, which ones give you the best information. And I guess one of the challenges you have to be, you know, not necessarily you, but certainly your merchants have to be so careful with is making sure you don't ask too many loaded questions. Because yep. otherwise, I imagine it could give you a very false sense of security in the sense of you could ask a question all the time being like, how great is our website? Is it great or is it really great? And then the people that don't answer, you don't know. So you go back and say, well, look, all our customers think our website's great when actually it might be completely rubbish and it's not performing well, but you've created a false sense of security here. Oh, yeah. There's a whole science of question writing and how to word things the right way. And, you know, we provide best practices at Jebit, but um, yes. There's things like, what questions do you ask? There's other things we talk to our our customers a lot about, like how many questions are right to ask? Because we'll meet many of our customers for the first time and they have 30 things they want to know about every customer. And that's awesome. But most customers don't want to stop and take a 30 question quiz when they land on your website for the first time. So it's, let's figure out what (laughs) three to five are actually the most important. Let's get those when they first land on the website. And then the other ones, those are the ones we'll get in future emails you send them or future trips to the site or things like that. And we will, you know, progressively profile that user over time to learn more about them. Let's transition then. So, I mean, the quizzes sound awesome, but let's transition back to some of the stuff we're talking about at the start about kind of zero party data and what a cookie is. There's something that you guys talk about quite a lot, both on your website and, you know, you mentioned the notes a lot that I'm I'm desperate to hear more about. And I'm sure a lot of people scratch their heads like I did a few months ago when, when well, I say a few months ago, I think it was a year ago now, we first got the, uh, the email through from Google. A cookie-less world. There's a lot of talk about this at the moment. What is, what, what, do we, what do we mean by a cookie-less world? Why are people like Google talking about this kind of thing? Yeah. 
So the Spark Notes or cookies are going away. Many browsers have already taken the third-party cookie away, and Google has announced they're getting rid of third-party cookies too. They just pushed it back. It's not going to happen. They did, yeah. Twenty twenty-four now, so there's a little bit of time. But it, it's probably important to take a half step back and understand why this is happening. You know, for decades, the internet has been running off of third-party data, or I should say, at least advertising on the internet has been running off of third-party data and third-party cookies being the the key technology that enables that, like we were talking about earlier. And, you know, governments and legislators have kind of woken up to the fact that this isn't right for consumers. You know, their data is being monetized and sold behind their back. They don't know who anyone can go buy their data you know, they're not the ones giving consent for the data to be used, et cetera, et cetera. And so they created a lot of privacy legislation. You know, some of your listeners might have heard of GDPR in Europe or CCPA here in the United States, but every country is either launched or is working on their own privacy legislation. And even though they're all slightly different, the core of them all is that in the future, brands need to get consent from their customers to use and monetize data in any way. And what that has led to some of the big players out there like Apple and like Google announcing changes to privacy and consumer data and how their technology runs. So, you know, Apple, as as I'm sure many people have seen, made a lot of changes to their like IDFA, it's called, but basically consumers have to give consent now in apps in order to be tracked and in order for brands to use their data. And Google has said third-party cookies are going to go away. And so what it has led to is it's, and I'm sure many of your merchants have experienced this, it's led to your ads on platforms like Facebook performing a lot worse because consumers aren't giving consent and third-party data can't be used. And many of our customers come to us. I actually have a call later today with a customer who their cost to acquire a new user, a new customer on Facebook is 3x right now what it used to be before Apple made changes. And so I got a little, maybe, I I maybe went a little too in-depth there for what is needed, but the main takeaway from all of this is that (laughs) cookies are going away and the brands that are going to win in the future are going to be the ones that get their own data from customers, that capture the emails and the phone numbers of their customers directly and learn things about their customers with that direct relationships, get that first and zero party data from their customers because cookies will be gone and you won't be able to rely on the third-party data that has powered the targeting algorithms on all the social platforms for so long. Wow. I mean, like your answer earlier, it's such a, such a, a thorough answer and, and sort of description of how cookies work. And you're absolutely right. Like GDPR, I, I can't say I had a single sleepless night over it, but it was bloody annoying, yep. <laughs> you know, to yep. be frank. But it was one of those things that I think, I think the frustration here in the UK was more, more actually related around Brexit than it was around GDPR itself. But it was just one of those things where it was like, Every we get why you're doing it, but it was just classic kind of bureaucratic governments and whatnot doing the not. I wouldn't. I won't, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I, I do actually overall. I do support it, but I don't support. I don't support the way they've handled it or the way they've deployed it and rolled it out. The same as you mentioned with CCPA and lots of other countries have their own versions of this thing. But I think it's it goes back to remember the old cookie law years ago where everybody announced suddenly. I don't know if they did this in the US actually, but certainly across Europe it was like you legally have to put a notice on your site saying we have cookies yep. and nobody did it yep. <laughs> like, i think it was i think i read a stat it was like less than 0.5 percent in the first year actually deployed a message said we've got cookies is that okay and you say yes fine by me most people thinking i don't know what a cookie is and bear in mind i felt the need to ask you what a cookie is yep. and we're on a podcast about e-commerce and i imagine most of you listening at home 
are running some sort of, or at least working in e-commerce, hence the interest in the Shopify platform and the Shopify podcast. So the fact that we have to explain it, I think just goes to show actually moving to a cookie-less world. I'm a huge advocate of it, but like everybody, I've got a million questions about how certain systems are going to work. Questions we're not going to cover today uh, because we'll be here too long and it's stuff that I probably need to research and come back and tell everybody else sort of what's going on. But I think I think you're absolutely right. The, the way customer data is used, I think the users need more control over how their data is used. And things are changing. Like we are definitely moving forward with it. And even little things are like, you know, when you buy a product, you can opt out of having your marketing emails or having your data sold, your data used. Most websites now do have some sort of cookie message. And it took GDPR to, yeah, it took GDP, GDPR for people to actually take notice and put a, you know, accept or, or reject um, cookie message on sites. And even then, I mean, I'm looking at the stats, you know, across a lot of our clients where we've been using tools like Hotjar to see how many people actually accept or decline those things. And it's like 99 plus percent of people just click the accept button. Yep. So I think, again, moving to a cookie-less world, I think it's a massive, a massive step where actually you and I who are in the technical world, there's more that we and, and all, of, all of you guys listening at home, there's more we can do to protect our consumers' data or most importantly, as you say, just ask for permission for that data. But I think one of the challenges with cookies and one of the reasons I think it's a great idea when we're getting rid of them is people just don't know what they are, they don't know how they work and that in itself causes a bit of a challenge that when you then post, I don't know, my, my nan does a lot of online shopping. She's nearly 90. She's, she's got a clue what a cookie is. And I asked her the other day, do you know what cookies are? And she goes, and she obviously gave me the definition of what's edible and asked if I wanted one. So it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just absolutely confusing to users. So if we get rid of it altogether and simplify it just to say, can we have your data, yes or no? Or can we use your data, yes or no? Is a much better question. It's like, okay, I like this brand. I feel comfortable. Yeah, use my data. Send me some better recommendations of what products to buy, et cetera, et cetera. And, or you can say, actually, no, I'm, I'm not interested in that. And, and you're done, which I think is a much better way of doing things. I completely agree. And I think going back to what you said about legislators rolling out these laws, like, sure, there's a lot you could criticize about the details of it all or the way it was done and all of that. But I think there's a pretty universal acceptance, or at least I personally agree with the intent of the laws, like the what it is driving towards of putting consumers first and respecting their privacy and giving them more control, like that all has great intent. And I think it's it's moving us towards a much better version of the internet. Because I also agree with what you said earlier, that the internet's a much better place if everywhere you go, all the brands and publishers you're interacting with know who you are and can personalize your experience. I, I don't think anyone would doubt that unless you're, you know, really, really skeptical and not trusting and don't want anyone to know anything about you. But I think most <laughs> The kind people, of person that won't register a bank account yeah, is, exactly. uh, is on that kind of level, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're living in a bunker in the woods somewhere and you're off grid, you know, fine. But I think for, for most people out there, they understand the give and take and they understand I am going to share data with the brands and publishers I trust and the ones I care about. And in return, those brands and publishers are going to give me a more targeted, more personalized, more interesting and better experience. And what the laws mm -hmm. have just done is then made it so that brand and publisher can't just then go turn around and without my consent, monetize all the data and sell it to a bunch of people I don't trust yet. You know, And so I think that is like super logical. And I think anyone with a you know, level-headed, big perspective on the industry would say the intent of the laws is awesome, right? Now, there's a lot of companies that are, this is hurting because they've been monetizing third-party data for a long time and, and they're having to adapt their models and their ways of working, but- Like Facebook, yeah. Yeah, but I think it's, uh, and they'll, they'll all figure it out and 
Facebook, like you just mentioned, is they're making it easier for brands to bring their own first and zero party data to the table to help improve targeting. So, you know, they're all making these changes. But I think the main point I'm making is I think that these are great transitions and I think it's moving us. Um, you know, we talk about Jabbit all the time of like, we just want to be on the right side of history and we want to be part of, you know, this evolution and this move towards a, a better internet that puts the consumer first. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean, a, a really good place, I think, to land today, if we bring it on to our final topic, is then to bring it bring it back to your tool and talk about all this data we're talking about now. And, you know, we both mentioned it now about making better marketing decisions, making the internet a better place. So with your tool, you get all this data, you learn what people are interested in, you've asked them some good questions. And, you know, they may have purchased a product, you may have helped them purchase that product. What happens next? Like, how many platforms can you integrate that data with? What kind of decisions can you then start to make as as we come in to finish and just look at the other side of all this going, okay, we've now found a better way to get the data than just purely using cookies. Yeah. What do we do with that next? Yeah, it's an awesome question. I think there's a couple of things that are probably worth mentioning. You know, first and foremost, our vision at Jabit is to help you capture zero party data everywhere you interact with your customers through just like amazing mm-hmm. experiences that your customers will want to engage with. So on this call, we've been talking a lot about a quiz for your website. We have many other experience types you can build and they'll work on every channel and device. You could have it in your emails, on your social channels. We even have customers that put QR codes on their packages that you can scan and and doesn't always need to be a quiz. It could be a lookbook, it could be, a, be an interactive article, but all different things that will get people to engage and answer questions. And so the reason that I share that is that we have customers that have now run hundreds, if not thousands of different Jebit experiences over their years on our platform. And as I'm sure you can imagine, they've had hundreds of millions of questions answered from all their consumers going in at different times. And obviously it depends on the scale of the brand, but we're aggregating all of that data in Jebit. And so you could go in and you could see, oh, this user, you know, Tom at Jebit.com over the last year has done two different quizzes of ours, five of our lookbooks, three of our trivias, and we've learned these 30 things about him across all of those. And so we aggregate all that data and it's in Jebit, but it's also important to acknowledge that we're not trying to be the end place that the data lives. So we've built all the integrations with all the places you would want that data to go. So I think Clavio is a perfect example, but any type of CDP or data warehouse, any type of email or marketing platform you might be using, we will send all that zero-party data you've captured into the, to it in real time. And so a platform like Clavio, many of our Shopify customers put the quiz on their website, use the quiz to get zero-party data and get an email. Then all the data goes right into Clavio in real time so they can then go into Clavio and they can set up custom emails, segmented emails based on that data. Or our data goes right into Facebook. So you can go right into Facebook and you can set up an ad campaign and you can use that data and what you learned about people to set up Facebook ads. So we do do a lot to aggregate it all, but we're not trying to be the end place the data lives. Otherwise, your zero party data would be stuck in a silo and you wouldn't really be able to do much with it. It's one of those things that, you know, we do have clients over the the years that ask us the question of like, okay, so we're capturing this information. So what? Like, you know, what are we going to do with it? And sometimes it's a case of just we're simplifying the data and going, all right, look, in simple terms, there's only two numbers you need to worry about. What have I spent? What have I made? Yep. You know, nice and simple. What's our SEO fee? How much does your team cost to run? Um, you know, and how much does the website yep. cost versus how much SEO revenue you've generated? But yeah, I think being able to connect that data into things like Clavio to then say, okay, we'll make a segmentation of our customers that are specifically related to this or ones that answered this question positively. 
you know, could be such a game changer that, you know, these guys were positive about our new range. These ones weren't. So the ones that weren't, we won't talk to them about the new range anymore because they weren't positive. But actually, we'll reach out to them and say, you know, can we have a bit, can we have five minutes of your time to find out more as to why you don't like our new range? You know, like we, we, we're here to serve you. We want to make it better. I think there's a lot you can do with it as well as putting it into places like, you know, like Google ads and saying, you know, here's a, here's an audience of data. Find me some lookalikes, find me some more people like this or put it into performance max campaign and tell it, you know, use this as an audience signal, find more people like this. So certainly millions of different uses, which is cool. But anyway, let's bring it to a close there, Tom. By the way, I went to their office last week and I did confirm the eternal question we've been asking I asked, is it oh, yeah. Clavio or Clavio? And they said, it is Clavio. So I did learn that. Clavio. Yes, it is Clavio. Nice. Yeah. If it, if, I don't know if you've listened to any episodes before, but I'm constantly saying both of them. I do. <laughs> we go back and we did too at Jevit. And I, yeah. and I was like, someone needs to tell me which one is it. And so they- Nice, can, nice. Yeah. But it's good to know. I often sort of say like Clavio or Clavio, yeah. <laughs> just so I've covered both of them. The so. other word we've had quite a lot on the podcast recently is niche and niche. Oh, Obviously yeah. you guys call yeah. it niche. And I said that to a few of my English friends recently here in the UK and said like, by the way, guys, you know, that's a really cool niche. And they were like, oh, what? It's like a niche. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what do you mean a niche? It's like, oh, it's, it's American for niche. <laughs> Spelt the same. But... I think I normally say niche, but now, I'm, now you're making me question which one do I say. So. <laughs> I was sorry for that. I, unfortunately, niche don't have a, have a head office anyway you can go and ask. But anyway, Tom, final question. People want to give you guys a go. They want to go to Jebit. How do you spell your website? How can they reach out? How can they find you? Where do they go if they need to ask a question? Where do they find the Shopify app? Tell us all the above, please. Sure. Uh, it's just jebbit.com j-e-b-b-i-t and then yeah we have our shopify app too so they can find us right in the shopify app store if they search jebbit or pretty much anything related to quiz they'll probably find us there nice one nice well thank you so much for your time today it's been a pleasure to have you on the show thank you appreciate your time too great stuff you're very welcome and for everybody listening at home please tune in again next week really exciting set of speakers lined up for the next few weeks yeah make sure you hit the like button hit the subscribe button and that is all from us take care and we'll see you next time Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter for exclusive offers at winningwithshopify.com. And don't forget to check out our Facebook group by searching for Winning with Shopify on Facebook. Over and out.